Hello and welcome to George and Charlie off the bridle. Deep into the season, we're on the cusp of the always superb Ebor Festival at York. So who better to have as our special guest than proud Yorkshireman and trainer of the brilliant Baid, William Haggis. So yes, we're recording as always deep in Newmarket here at the magnificent and storied Bedford House, home of trainer Charlie Fellows. I'm Tony Rushmer and this is George and Charlie off the bridle, partnered by Fitzdares. Only it isn't George and Charlie off the bridle. It's just, well, Charlie off the bridle for this episode four of series four. So yes, our other resident trainer, G. Scott, has had to head across for a planning meeting with an owner. Nothing at all, I'm sure, to do with the fact that his bullet-fast two-year-old, Rocket Rodney, came second in the Malcolm Stakes at Glorious Goodwood. And Charlie Fellows, marvellous Marban, bagged the vintage stakes, eh, Charlie? What about that? It's complete crap, isn't it? George Scott disappearing, disappearing, just as the going gets tough apparently to see an owner i mean if you believe that you'll believe anything so very disappointing that you can't front up uh, but as a result tony you and i are in charge which is very unusual i'm sure we'll do a good job i think the listeners will be much happier rather than hearing him chirping on about absolute crap so onwards and upwards but yes it's been a very very good time since we last met marvelous marban i quite like that <laughs> Yeah, that was good. It was a good day. It was a good day and it was a needed day. Anyone who listens to the podcast would know that this year possibly hasn't gone quite as I expected it to go. And so to have a a good two-year-old and a proper two-year-old was a real shot in the arm for us. And he looked looked smart. I thought he won it really well. Travelled beautifully, got given a Spencer peach. And I think probably won a little bit cosily, which was nice. I think it, it was probably a pretty good field. He's been given 111 as a result, which is interesting. Even more interesting is where we go next. We were, we were, we were all systems go for the national stakes until Aidan decided to throw a real spanner in the works and tell everyone that little Big Bear is now going to be heading to the national stakes, having romped home in the Phoenix the other day. And suddenly our plans are slightly up in the air I'm not sure how keen I am on shipping Marban over to Ireland to face what looks like a monster of a two-year-old. So we might end up staying here now, I think, and suddenly the Champagne Stakes looks like a more attractive option, even though we'll have to carry a penalty. It's a it's a nice problem to have, and obviously there's a lot of water that go to go under the bridge. But just whether whether going over to Ireland and taking on Little Big Bear in Ireland is the right thing to do. Not quite so sure at this stage of his career. We might leave it until further down the line. Seven furlongs still, or possibly a mile still, because obviously you've got those those races to look at. The Dewhurst being seven furlongs, and that you you mentioned uh, Doncaster, the Champagne Stakes. Is there a big enough gap between that Group Two and then the Dewhurst on Future Champions Weekend? Or the, the timing works really well. Uh, there's nothing over a mile for him really until really until the racing post trophy so a mile's out of the question for the moment and and i don't i I wouldn't want to step him up to a mile yet it's either it's a straight out choice between the champagne and the national stakes and then after that you've got the choice between the lagardere in france the dewhurst and you'd you'd have to go and win a champagne pretty nicely under a penalty to 
warrant a trip to the Dewhurst or or whether we step up to a mile for the Racing Post Trophy. So that's the sort of way forward. It's a it's a look. It's a really really nice problem to have. I would just I would much rather Aiden had stayed sprinting with Little Big Bear. It would have made my life a little bit easier. Like you say, nice problem to have. And bear in mind that most of the episodes this series, you've been bemoaning how this season's gone is probably a fair appraisal of your consideration of Bedford House until the last month. And there's also been the sort of misfortune of losing a horse, which you told listeners about in the last episode as well. And racing is quite strange how it is that roller coaster emotion, how it was... So, you know, not good, not, you weren't happy. You sat here and told us how fed up you've been on more than one occasion. And rightly so in that instance, losing a horse. And yet it's all turned round with one marvellous minute and a half or two minutes at Goodwood, as well as a lot of other horses going in as well. The last month has been good, hasn't it? Yeah, and, and, and it does sum up, you know, it sums up horse racing beautifully. Like horse racing is a, a brutal sport. The highs are extremely high and, you know, the lows... And there are a lot of lows, whether you're training at the top end or or training sort of down the middle, bottom where we are. You know, there's a lot of lows as well. And that, that's, it's you know, it's hard to take, like constantly taking, beating after beating. It can be demoralising at times. And, you know, I've tra- I train at roughly a sort of 14, 15% strike rate throughout my career. And that means that 85% of them are getting beaten. Let's say... I think roughly about 50% finished outside the first four. So I'd say 50% of your runners, you're dealing with disappointment. Because really, if you're outside the first four, they've probably not run how you were hoping they were going to run. It's quite hard. You know, you have to be pretty strong mentally to take that. And not only are you having to deal with someone else's disappointment, i.e. the owners, because they've run badly because we spend our lives with them day in day out watching these horses we are invested as much if not more than the owners are because every race they run badly is a real stab in the heart to you so it's a sort of double whammy and you know you have to be unbelievably sort of mentally sound I think to to train and it's at times it can be tough but I suppose I can't ramble on too much without giving our absent friend a little bit of credit because I think he had another winner last night at Kempton. A winner, it won by about 10 lengths. He'd run it three times. I mean, it was some Mark Prescott-esque, but I don't know how it won over a mile six because it's not bred to get a mile six at all anyway. He looked, again, he surprisingly looked quite clever, but he's trained, I think, more winners than he has for the last couple of years, maybe all added together, which is very impressive. Um, although he's won about two pounds in prize money. So I still quite enjoy scrolling to about page four of the trainer's table to find him. But it, to be fair, he's had a he's had a very good year. He's trained a lot of winners. And he said at the beginning of the year, he said to me, I don't, I don't care what races I win, I'm going out to win as many races as I can. And the sort of old advice of keeping yourself in the best company and your horse in the worst, well, George has done that to a T this year. Uh, and it's you know credit where credit's due. He's had a he's had a very very good year. Poor old Rodney got beaten. It was he was always going to have a really tough task with me clinging onto its tail, water skiing down the Goodwood Strait, trying to prevent it from winning. <laughs> uh, but I think he just bumped into one. Sadly, uh, they've always thought the Hannon horse Trillium was a pretty good filly, and gosh, she was impressive. 
And I'm afraid, I think poor old Rocket Rodney was beaten fair and square. And he's he's still a very, very, very good horse and lost nothing in defeat. Yeah, it's it's it was a shame because um, he deserved to win a big one, especially when you look at you look at how that Windsor Castle form has worked out. And you've got to think that had had George run in the Norfolk Stakes, he probably would have won it, which is really, <laughs> that's hard to take. So you go for what you think is a weaker race, only to bump into little Big Bear, who turns out to be one of the best two-year-olds Aidan's trained in a long time. I think you made the point. Um, the horse lost nothing in defeat and the consistency he's delivered over his runs this year, Rocket Rodney, we can um, be, be optimistic that he'll progress from his listed success and win a group race, can't we? Because he's he, he's the real deal. He, he's a fast, speedy two-year-old and one should come his way. Yeah, he is. And, and he's he, as you say, he's very consistent. I, I saw him recently in the yard and he's a really good looking he's a proper two-year-old like he's a little speedball and yeah he deserves he really if a horse deserves to win a group race it's him i'd love to have g scott here to tell us his plans on where he's going to go next no doubt he's probably talking middle parks and breeders cups and all that sort of thing but hopefully he's sensible and tries to find a group race somewhere for him to go and win which he's which is what he deserves i'm sure He'll be using his time in in France to race plan and, you know, rather than drink rosé and swan about on a beach trying to flex his non-existent abs, which, by the way, I've been doing a lot of gym time with him and it's, it's pathetic how slowly he's progressing. It's very, very poor. If only he were here to defend himself. And in the balance of fairness, and you were quite fair to him, he has had a lot of winners. And he did tell us, actually, didn't he? We received a WhatsApp message to say, make sure that you outline... That was my 25th winner, and we're still, you know, 20% strike rate. So he Hold on, was that, did he put that on the group? Yeah, well, that's that on, on the group. group. Yeah, he, we should tell listeners that we have a WhatsApp group that uh, sees quite a lot of banter back and forth, and uh, obviously in George's absence, he was making sure his presence was felt by conveying his messaging. Mentioned we hit 25 last night and 20% strike rate from about 20 horses. That's what he wrote on our group. That's how desperate he is for his stats to be. He definitely doesn't have 20 horses. So as mentioned at the top of the episode, our special guest is William Haggis. His CV outlines, among other things, how he learned his profession working for trainers John Winter and Sir Mark Prescott. His first ever winner came in 1987. Nine years later, he trained Derby hero Shamit. And he also saddled an Oaks winner, Dancing Rain, in 2011. There have been countless other big race triumphs along the way, but it looks like his glittering training career will be remembered mostly for his masterly handling of Bayeed. Talking of excellent strike rates, William, welcome. A few days ahead of the Judmont International now, uh, where the unbeaten Bayeed is set to make his 10th career appearance. It's only right we start with him. How long ago in the plan... Did you have this as the first race in which you intended to step him up to a mile and a quarter? And could he actually prove better at the distance? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, uh, we'd planned to go to the Judmont very early on, really. You know, a four-year-old miler of his quality, the programme is very straightforward in the early part of the season. It's Lockinge, Queen Anne, and then Sussex. And then it's sort of, do you go for the Moulin or the Jacques Lamaua? Or do you go up in trip? And we put him in the Irish champion just in case he needed more time between the Sussex and um, 
and the Jobmont, and I'm pleased to say everything is on schedule to go on um, next Wednesday. He's a funny horse because he didn't he didn't start until pretty late, did he? When was it? May, June the seventh. But the interesting thing I think is whether if he'd been trained by Aiden or somebody else, whether he'd have won the Dewhurst and whether he'd have been still as good as he is now. Was there a reason he didn't run it too? Did he have a... a well, I can't really. Or? I can't really remember. Um, you know, I I don't need many excuses to put them away. Yeah. And he must have gone lame or, or gone wrong or coughed a lot or dirty nose or grown or done something for us not to run him. And I remember his debut, he was sort of out the back, green as grass, and then just absolutely flew. Yeah, he had a backhander. Yeah. He probably never got one until QE2 after that, but he had a backhander there, and he, he sprouted wings right at the la last bit. I mean, he, wasn't, he was going to be fifth or sixth, and then he just finished off well. And I know that your, your head team have a sort of they have a pot and they have a, a bet on horses in the yard which then goes back into the pot for the end of the year would he would his debut would he have been on their their hit list um i don't think so no i don't i don't remember i'll i'll have a recollection of it because they have a whatsapp group a couple of work riders and my assistant uh josh used to be harry and then our son who's the puts the bet on I give them five grand a year and they're to play with the money. Uh, they, the two rules I stipulate are they can only back our horses and they can only back them to win or each way. They can't lay them. And then we have a WhatsApp group, which I follow. I never contribute at all. I just watch it. And it's, it's really good fun. And I can't remember whether they back Baid, but they usually like to, to back anything that most of ours are too short for them. They grum, grumble. And they usually put them in combinations and the first one gets beat and then they're all, oh, yeah. But they're, they're doing okay. They've just paid themselves a dividend, interim dividend of three grand each. So, and they've still got 15 grand in the pot. So they're going it's okay. It's a great idea. It's good fun. It's a really they good idea. It. They love it. Does it normally end up in, in credit most seasons? Uh, the second year when we had our record number of winners, uh, they managed to lose £4,850. <laughs> we had... They gave me back 150 quid, but um, the following year they backed um, a filly to win the Duke of Cambridge at 50 to 1, 10 days before the race, first time out. She was usually when you give a horse a silly name like Move Swiftly, they do everything but. But she actually did that day and won on soft ground at about 8 or 9 to 1, and they, they then paid me back for the previous year and uh, were in credit for the following year. And returning to Baid and his early days, had he hidden his light under a bushel somewhat or in the way of Frankel, were you aware that this horse was good, albeit a very different type? Was there a feeling in the yard that he's nice? No, Charlie would would know the way we do it probably, I think, in that we get them fit enough to run uh, first time out and if they're good, their natural ability takes over and if they're not that good on the day, they get beaten. But usually our horses are better second time. So, um, you know, we've had, I, I think I, there was one horse that won a group one before Baid, but only one, uh, Rosdew Queen, who won her first start 
all the other Group Oneers we've Group One winners we've had have all got beaten on their first start. Miraculously, C of class. I don't know how she got beaten, but she did. And um, <clears throat> Charmin and Dancing Rain and Macadram, they all got beaten. So, you know, that's the way it is. But, you know, I always think if they win first time, they must be quite good. But it doesn't always mean that they are good. But, um, you know, if they run 12th of 13 first time, then there's a big red light comes on and uh, departure lounge looms. You must be looking forward to seeing him run over 10 furlongs. Just the way he runs over a mile... He makes it. He makes it look so easy. Whereas Frankel almost made it look hard for himself. Like he he just did everything wrong. This horse seems to be the trainer's dream. Well, almost he he is because you know he's very straightforward, which is what what everyone wants. You know, most good horses have got a kink in them. You know, and you know, this horse doesn't. He goes up to the gallop. He gallops well. He comes back. He eats. He's had lots of publicity recently. I've never known anything like it at Goodwood. The only time I've ever been, had my photograph taken so much was when I shook hands with Sheikh Hamdan in the paddock at Maidan and 50 people took my photograph. I felt really important. <laughs> didn't realise that it was for him, not me. But, um, you know, he's had lots of cameras this week, you know, all these uh, build-up to York, and uh, he takes it in his stride much better than his trainer. And... This is the last year for him, by the sounds of it. Was there any question that he might train on next year? or I've no idea. I, I'm just presuming he is too valuable to race as a five-year-old. Yeah. So he will run Judmont. Yeah, and then depending on what happens, how that goes. champion or QE2 is in both, and yeah. that'll be his swan song. What are his attributes, aside from being so straightforward, that make him the delight that he must be to train? What are the things that you really enjoy? Well, he's about got a good him? temperament. And as I said before, most of them, are, the good ones, are a bit tricky. And so when they're straightforward, it, it doesn't happen very often. He's just a nice, nice person to have around. And the same guy, Ricky Hall, rides him every day, but actually anyone could ride him. I'm dying to give Tom Markand a shot on him before he retires. Mm. I think he's itching to have a ride on him. And Richard Hills, who used to ride out, has now made a comeback. He's been riding the last two days. I think once his little tummy gets a bit smaller, I think we can let him have a sit on him before he goes to Shadwell. What about this race then, the Judmont International, and how he's been since Goodwood and how you've felt um, about the race as a whole as a Yorkshireman at your home track, a track that you've known for however many years? What does it all mean to you going into that race? Well, look, it's a million-pound race. It's a stallion-making race. It doesn't matter where it is. The fact that it's at York, and everyone makes a big deal of me wanting to win at York. I want to win everywhere. And York, we beat the prize money drum the whole time. And York are actually fantastic at putting their hand in their pocket. And, you know, every race is a valuable race in its own right. And the Judmont is the million-pound race at the Ebor Festival. So, um, of course, we want to win it. Um, and we try and have winners at York every year. And one year, we had five. Those are the days. Uh, we had five winners, and the second leading trainer had one. So, uh, um, I know four of those were two-year-olds. So, that was when I used to train two-year-olds. But now, unfortunately, we can only muster one two-year-old and a lot of older horses. 
Do you think that track was right up his street? I mean, I thought Goodwood was really impressive. I don't know what you thought, Charlie. Just visually, just the way Jim asked, and then it was done. Oh, blink and you missed it. The race was settled. And I just think, I can just see him loving that long straight there. Well, you'd think, it it feels right to me. You know, you'd think that he can just sit and wait and let it all unfold. And then if his turn of foot is there, I think Jim has a lot of confidence in the horse and trusts the horse to quicken. I mean, it's, 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 it's really exciting. It's strange to talk about it because, you know, he, he, he just, he just does it and he's done it every single time. So I suppose there'll come a day when he doesn't want to do it or doesn't do it and we'll all be flattened, but you can't see him not running well. Really. Where did you have Goodwood in the list of his performances in terms of just how professional and excellent he was that day? Well, the worst, the worst place we had him was last year in the Moulin. His first run in a Group 1 and he had a setback and he was too fresh. And he was strong to post and silly in the race, didn't settle, but still won. And then we had a really good uh, preparation into the Queen Elizabeth II stakes. And then I knew he'd be better. And this year, he was a little bit heavier at Ascot. Um, hadn't done probably as much as I should have done. He was, his weight was 10 kilos heavier than the lock inch. Um, he trimmed up at Goodwood fine. Um, and he is in great shape at the moment. So I'm looking forward to it, really. What else can I say? There's not a huge amount more to add. He's an absolute superstar in my mind. I don't think he came out third gear at Goodwood, if I'm completely honest with you. Going back, you burst onto the scene with a Derby winner very early on in your career. How many year? Nine, I think. Yeah. So I missed the boat already, right? We 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 had no horses. Twenty-five horses, about two thirds of which were owned by family or family friends. And I set my first goal as winning a race on every race course because I thought that was something I could achieve relatively quickly and would be a bit of an ambition to do it's quite hard though that isn't it but if you put your mind to it you can do it when did you complete that and we completed it the year Charmit won the derby nine years yeah you trained a winner at every single race course in the yeah. country yeah god that's and uh but i set out to do that so uh right. we did a few carlisles and bath and places i don't really go to now but our, our last one was ascot and, and, and it was when Yeast won the Royal Hunt Cup, the year Charmit won the Derby. And he was ridden by Kieran Fallon, and it was his first Ascot winner. So, and Ascot was the last course you, you it, got your winner at? Yeah, he, it wasn't the Hunt Cup, it was the Victoria Cup that he won right. before the Hunt Cup. Yeah. But Ascot and Epsom were the two in 1996, the two courses we no hadn't way. had a winner on. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, isn't it? Cool. So that was great. Over the last 15 years... Would you say it's just suddenly yeah. exploded? So there's hope for you yet, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to look at it. After the Derby, in 97, we had 12 winners and won 55,000, 57,000. And all the good work we'd done the previous year was unravelled. And it was only in 2000, I think, when Leicester... Uh, and Tony Hirschfeld, his breeding partner, bred a filly called Superstar Leo. Yeah. And she was 14-3. And, and they bought her back for three and a half grand. And she won at Royal Ascot. And she then was sold 
to Roy and Gretchen Jackson, who are Lale Stables, who have been with us ever since, and then won the Super Sprint. She was actually second in the Heinz 57, the Phoenix Stakes it is now, uh, and it was at Leopardstown. And then she won the Super Sprint and the Flying Childers and then ran in the Nunthorpe as a two-year-old and got beaten half a length. She loved fast ground and it was heavy and got beaten by one of John Ox's called Namid as a two-year-old. She never trained on, but she then bred a succession of... It's been a fantastic family for us and we've had most of them. And Roy and Gretchen, are, are, they hate me saying it, but they're getting, getting on a bit now and they love their racing. And they have everything they've bred, they've sent to us, unless Peter Stanley thought it was so awful it should go to the sale or be retired. And really from then came Sheikh Hamdan when poor Alex Stewart died and Ben Hambry retired. He appointed two new trainers in Newmarket, were Michael Jarvis and us, and uh, he was fantastic. And then the quality got better. And then his brother came on board, Sheikh Ahmed, who is now here, uh, which is great for you, and you've got a really good horse for him, which is even better. And uh, then it sort of snowballed from there, and uh, it's been remarkable, as you say. I think our first time we hit 100 winners was in 2013. So we've, we've trained sort of 150 a few times, and we're, we're well on schedule this year. Is the trainer's title something that you aspire to? Well, every trainer would say they don't, but of course you, you do when you're warm, and we're warm at the moment, but Charlie has a sort of rather, not that Charlie, uh, Charlie. Mr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he has a big pot of, um, of horses and, and he's the most charming man and, uh, and a great fella, and, uh, but I know he, he doesn't want to be beaten and the man at the end of the road here, he, he's not one for lying down and giving up, so... Uh, You're second at the moment? Yeah. Behind Charlie or behind... Behind Charlie. Behind Charlie. And Balding third? Uh, Gosden third. Gosden third. Balding okay. fourth. OK. But, you know, this wouldn't be possible without Baye, so if we don't do it this year, we're never going to do it. How far behind are you? 400,000. So win the Judmont and you're in... For about a day, <laughs> and Charlie will win the Voltage, yeah, the the Blankshire Oak, the, sorry, the Yorkshire Oaks, the Debor, the Doodah, and that that's it. You're being very modest there because you do have some good chances as well. In we have races. some chances, yeah, chances. Go on, give us one to watch out for next week outside of Baid. Uh, the one I like will be Sacred if it stays dry. You see, because I I I overtrained her for Goodwood. I tried to blame Ed Arkell privately, said, well, he's overwatered for Trushan. Really, isn't it terrible? But actually, she ran flat for me, and she won't run flat. If anything, she might run a bit fresh at York. But if it's dry, uh, she'd be our best chance. She's going for the... Um, City of York. City of York. You've got four in that, have you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just know that she's always been... She's uh, a really good filly. Though. Yeah, I know. And she's not quite... No, it's just not quite gone her way. She's a seven furlong filly. Yeah. And, you know, the problem is... That, wants rattling quick ground yeah, as well, doesn't she? So the foray is out, and that's the only group one over seven. So yeah. you, she ran in the Jubilee and f- finished fifth, was running on... Were you not tempted by the Maurice de Geest? I was, I was, but with the ground being fast at Goodwood, and I thought it was going to break, and... 
of course we were tempted and we took the decision to go Lennox City of York and we thought if they over water and it's not firm it's long way to go and it knocks out two races and you know it was a yeah and if we hadn't run in the Lennox I'd have said she would have won for sure so you know who knows and uh, the other thing I remember you talked about the importance of Sheikh Hamdan and Sheikh Ahmed and these owners coming on board. But I remember you always saying that the proudest moment you've had uh, having a trainer's licence was when you got the call that Her Majesty the Queen was sending you horses. Of course. And that, that's, but that's completely different. That, is, uh, that was a bolt out of the blue. It was a Saturday night and uh, John Warren rang and I didn't know he'd been in the morning to see the High Clear horses and then he went up to Sandringham and he talked to the Queen and then he rang uh, about eight o'clock and I was having supper. This was a Saturday night and he said, um, I said, can I call you back? And he said, well, it's only, only take a minute. And I said, uh, were you happy with your horses this morning? Yes, very happy. And, and um, he said, um, I've been with Her Majesty this afternoon. She wondered whether you'd like to train a horse for her. Well, I mean, it's like, and my mother was still alive, a big royalist. And it was like a golden moment. It was a, it was a supper, bye bye, you know. And I don't like missing supper, as you can tell by my figure. <laughs> but it was quite funny. Uh, I, I will tell you this story. Previously, so before this, Andrew Stone, who I don't, do you train for Andrew? Currently, I don't. But Andrew's son Freddie is an avid listener right. to this podcast. Was delighted to Great. hear that you well, were coming on. I'll give him a mention. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Andrew. Uh, took the children, which I class as Simcock and Dunlop, and I to the rugby to watch England play, I think it was Ireland, I can't remember, at Twickenham. And he, he has a well-trodden route of lunch at La Trompette, which is a very decent watering hole. And then a driver takes us to the ground, and we, we you see, so... Um, Andrew had bought a rather expensive filly by Invincible Spirit the previous autumn. This was in about February, end of February, March time, uh, who hadn't changed in size since he bought her. So the warning lights were on and the children went out for a cigarette after the starter, uh, Simcock and Dunlop. So he said to me, tell me, how's that Invincible Spirit? And I went, well, I don't like to say this on such a nice day, but I don't think she's any good. He said, Really? It's a bit early, isn't it? And I said, so when you've been doing it a long time, you get a feel for things like this, and this is this is bad news. I don't think this is going to be any good. Oh, Christ, he said. Anyway, then, then the children came back in, mowed through the next course, and off they went for another cigarette. So he said, oh, God, I'm absolutely gutted. He said, I have got one, uh, another one which I bought. I haven't told anyone about it. Um, and... And it's from the family of Russian Rhythm, and you're welcome to have that if you like. Oh, so that's really kind of you. And what a star you are. How's it bred? And he said, well, it's out of this man. So what's it by? He said, Verglas. Oh, I said, sorry, Verglas, not for me. I said, I don't want to see another bloody Verglas. We've had a few of those, and they're bloody lunatics, and no thank you. He said, well, I paid 90000 I said, I don't care. I said, I, I just send it to someone else. I really don't want a verglas. I said, too much hassle. Oh, he said. Then the children came back. We mowed through another apple crumble and off we went to the rugby. Never mentioned again. And, and the, 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 when I got the call from John Warren 
And he said, Her Majesty would like to send you this choicely bred yearling. And I said, how's it bred? And he said, it's a lovely horse by Verglar. <laughs> and I said, oh, delight, one of my favourite stallions. <laughs> anyway, I had to ring Andrew up and apologise to him. Anyway, there we go. Before we let you go, we did have a previous guest on who mentioned you at length or your time with him and your timekeeping, actually, Sir Mark Prescott. Um just reflect, if you will, on working for Sir Mark, because that must have been, along with uh, Mr Winter, John Winter, great formative years that helped and gave you foundations going into your own training career. Well, I started with Jeremy Hindley, so I, I was mad keen on betting at school, and then I wanted to get into racing. I wasn't quite sure that I wanted to do all the shit shoveling and that sort of thing, so I went to Jeremy, who was a family friend, and he trained at Clarehaven, and and had a lovely time. I said, look, I'll mow the grass, I'll I'll muck out all morning, I'll clean the car, I'll pour the drinks, I'll do anything, I just want to get in. And he said, that's great. And three-quarters of the way through the season, he said to my father, I know what will do William Good, a couple of years with Mark Prescott, you see. So he said, well, I'm not having him if he can't ride. And I'd done sort of dobbing on the pony club with a egg on a spoon and, and trotting along, you know, all that sort of stuff with my finger on the egg. But <clears throat> I hadn't got much further than that. So I went off to a chap who was a fantastic show jumper called Ted Williams, long dead now. I had the best three months ever. I drove down the drive at nine o'clock in the morning in a pinstripe suit and he flagged me down. He said, are you that boy coming to learn to ride? I said, yeah. He said, take your jacket off. I'm like, oh, no. Uh, and he was in a menage with a horse, somebody riding a horse over the, some show jumps. He said, uh, get on that. I mean, I had polished shoes and my pinstripe suit. And I got on this thing and it looked like Beaches Brook. And, I, and it was about three foot off the ground. And I got on this horse, absolutely petrified. And so he said, jump that. I went, righto. And I gingerly went in. And, of course, it refused because I gave it no encouragement to jump. <laughs> Well, he said, bring it round here, and he, and he brought it round, and I was trotting away thinking, I'm going to have to break into a canter here. And he whacked it with a long tom, and it just went into full gallop, and it jumped the jump like it was Beecher's Brook. And it got down the other side, and I couldn't wait to get off the thing. Anyway, he, we had some a great time. I learned a bit to ride, and he had some greyhounds, and they used to run at Loughborough. And so when they weren't off, he used to melt a pound or two of butter, and uh, doggy should mow through the butter at about lunchtime, and then in the evening it was a bit <laughs> a bit full, and he got beat, and then no butter when it was off. Oh, we had a great time. Anyway, I then went to Sir Mark, and he was horrible. He had glasses like the bottom of milk bottles, and he had a c- cigarette in his mouth the whole time, whether it was lit or not. Now he's got a little matchstick. Uh, you know, uh, and and he was aggressive. He used to, he was in at five every morning. He used to mow the grass in his waterproofs in the summer. You know, like gritting this this cigarette in his mouth. And I was only pupil assistant to Adrian Lee, and I mean, I was absolutely petrified. And yeah, I was late a couple of mornings. And uh, I, in those days, we had a great crew of people here, a crew of assistant trainers and uh, who could party as well and um you know we we often 
you know, went to bed at four o'clock, I'm sure uh, you did. And it was always a bit of a battle to get up in the morning. Anyway, I, I uh, uh, forgot to turn the alarm on a couple of times and, and he belted me over the head. I was sharing a room, funnily enough, with John Warren, sharing a house with him in Lowther Street. And uh, Adrian Lee, who's the assistant, then guided Sir Mark to our house and he filled up his saucepan full of water. And he went upstairs and he pulled the bedclothes back to shower the water out. And it was Warren. And uh, he isn't a man for a crisis because instead of saying he's not here, he's with his bird, he said, oh, no, he's in there. <laughs> so I so, so came in and belted me. Oh, God, rice. I saw, got the point of my elbow. And we went trotting up the Snailwell Road. I'll never forget it. Oh, dear, it was awful. Anyway, I was never late again. It was a good lesson. But he was pretty horrible in those days. Is it fair to say you will have learnt a lot and Sir Mark has mellowed? Oh, he's definitely mellowed. And he was quoted in the paper the other day saying, I thought he was the most horrible man in the world. That's not quite true. I didn't think he was... But he was horrible to work for. There's lots of stories about assistants going into his office and reading his mail. I never went anywhere near his office. I was pretty frightened. But I I suppose, on reflection, it was great. I thought his handling, he had a horse called Spindrifter at the time, and he lost his life on the gallops. And he'd been one of lots and lots of races, and he'd been a fantastic horse, great temperament. And I remember him speaking to all of us when he died, and and that was a very moving moment. He did have a soft side to him. I'm going to end this, because you've been very generous already with your time, by uh, I want to just recall one story. And in doing so, I'm actually going to mention someone who's unbelievably important to your team, and that is your long-suffering wife, who is a huge part of everything that goes on at Somerville Lodge, uh, and who currently is um, recuperating from what is a rather nasty fall. We wish her the best. Thank you, Charlie. But one of my best stories with you was when we were in Hong Kong, which I want you to tell our listeners because this always makes me laugh so much. Well, it was, um, you were out in Hong Kong and um, I'm not very good at modern technology and Uber wasn't for me and I know how to work Uber, but I, I hadn't set up an account and Maureen did it for me and she set up the account in her name. So we, we go out for dinner uh, for one of the official functions and I'm uh, I get upstairs and give it all the usual man thing that they do to their wives when they're a long way away and it's the mid-afternoon in England and a lot of oh, oh, I'm actually knackered dying but a jet lag and I'm sleepy and so uh, you know lots of love dying sleep well yeah have a good day hope everything's alright text me if you need me blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know see you bye darling put the phone down that minute, Fellows sends me a text saying, where are you? What are you up to? I'm in a so-and-so bar in some shocking area. And uh, so I thought, oh, I wasn't very sleepy at all, really. So off I go down the hotel and I got to the bottom of the hotel. And the taxi queue was about 15 people. I thought, oh, no, I can't be bothered. And then I thought, oh, I've got Uber. So I pressed the Uber, take me to Wan Chai, which is where he was in the bar, which is the red light district. In, in, it's probably one of many, but it is one. Anyway, so I pressed the Uber, and then, of course, I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? So it flicks up in the afternoon, Maureen. Uh, your Uber will be... <laughs> whatever. Oh, my God. So I then 
I thought, well, what am I going to do here? And I, so I rang and said, well, darling, I didn't feel that sleepy, so I'm, I'm just going to go out for Charlie. Silly, that silly Charlie Fellows has rung me. So I went out with Charlie. Well, we went to this bar. You were ensconced with Al Donald and Ed Walker and a few others. Well, I mean, I've never heard... I mean, the noise was unbelievable. Couldn't hear yourself speak. Every round was about $10,000. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have been better off staying in bed, I can tell you. He didn't last very long. No, no. Did well, you I'm talk your way out of it with Mrs Hayes? Yeah, that's, that's not a problem. Yeah, not a problem. I, I, I don't think she's that naive, really. But, <laughs> well, I thought I'd done a pretty good job, but there you go. Thank you so much for giving us your day we really really appreciate having you on i'm really sorry scott's not here because i could have taken the piss out of him i know we know that there's and been morecambe and wise it's like it's no good when you've only got morecambe or wise oh, it's um <laughs> it's a shame he's not here because i know there's been some very funny moments between the two of you that i would love to have brought well, up but yeah, where is he yarmouth is he? he's day i can assure you he's not at yarmouth <laughs> great well thank you so much that was great what a great guest William was. Um, we do wish him and Maureen well. And of course, the Somerville Lodge team that are running at uh, the Knavesmire next week. Now, next week, have you got anything to take? Or are you sort of like William was mentioning, rain has been required for certain horses and quite a lot of your string desperate for a bit, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I mean, it's... <sighs> the sad thing is we complain and complain about the state of prize money in this country and as William touched on York are probably the best out there at putting up proper money so we should all be running there if we can I'd love to be running there but a lot of mine need a bit of cut in the ground if they're going to take part Grand Alliance is in the Great Voltager I might leave him in. I need to speak to the owner first. I might leave him in just because there is rain forecast. And if they got a fair bit of rain, I'd be really interested in trying him on rain softened ground. I've always felt he was a soft ground horse, but he ran obviously so well at Ascot on pretty quick ground that you look a bit silly saying, oh, we don't like it. But I have a feeling he's a soft ground horse. And I think he's the sort of horse that if I carry on running him on quick ground, he's going to sour off even quicker than he looks to be at the moment. And I think he would love to get his toe in. So he could turn up, although I'd say it's very unlikely. We'll probably, we might be heading straight to the ledger. We'll see. I might put Vadream in a 100, 100 grand Phillies handicap um, over seven again if it rains she could turn up but a lot of them a lot of them need rain but it's a sort of place where I'll be looking watching enviously wishing I had more runners than I have um, up there moving on I should mention last uh, episode of the podcast you gave us uh, two two-year-olds to follow one of them duly won at a nice enough price at the July course and the other finished second up the north maybe at Newcastle well done for flagging those two up have you got any such good steers for uh our listeners going into uh, the rest of August, early September? Yeah, it's funny. You just get that feeling. I've got that feeling that my two-year-olds are going to dig me out of a big hole, which they've come along at probably the most important time they could ever have come along at, but they look like a nice bunch. As you mentioned, the two I think I put up last time were Cloudbreaker, who won at Newmarket quite impressively, hands and heels, guttingly. She is... 
come back with an injury from Newmarket. So she is out for the season. So she's now going to be, she'll be trained very much with a possible tilt at the Guineas in mind next year. If she's good enough, she's obviously got a huge way to improve before then. But um, she won't be running on turf, I don't think, this year, frustratingly. Whether we give her a run or two on the all weather over the winter just to get her a bit more streetwise because she's only had two starts. Mm. We'll see how she comes along. And the other one was Shabazz, I think, yeah. who's a nice free eagle who ran really well at Newcastle, was on the wrong side of the track. I think Newcastle, you want to be on the you want to be up high by the stands rail and we were down low and he just got out battled in it. He'll come back out. He looks like a winner waiting to happen. Um two year olds to note Surrey Racing have a dream ahead that was bought by Matt Coleman out in France. He's just coming to hand quite nicely now and looks like a nice prospect. He is called Surrey Noir. He's definitely one for a notebook. He's not a million miles away from a run, I'd say maybe end of this month. And little Philly, who's just starting to show, interestingly, she cost a lot of money. She's a filly called Lady Primrose. She's a full sister to Lady Kaya. She was bought for a lot of money over in Ireland. And I'll be honest with you, her work through the spring didn't really grab me. And we decided to give her a bit of a break. And she had a couple of months in a paddock. And she's come back in and and it's like a different filly's returned. And her work has been good. She's just started galloping. And again, she's just giving me the nice some nice signs as well. Um, so she'd be one for that. But, and, and also Old Gold Racing have a filly called Fits Perfectly, who I quite like as well. So there's three names that are coming along and not a million miles away from making a race course. So I think the two-year-olds are all right. While we're talking of two-year-olds, I must just um, ask you about the, your podcast, Two-Year-Old, who I know you say is starting to progress quite nicely as well, albeit a little slower than some of the ones you just mentioned you're happy with. Yeah, she had a really tough start to the year and I just had picked up an injury and just was sort of paddling, going nowhere. And the last two months, she's just suddenly clicked into gear and she's now cantering on Warren Hill. She's a lovely big filly. She's got a great mind, been very straightforward. She's very much about next year. She was never going to be a two-year-old, unlike a lot of the stuff we bought for this partnership. But she looks nice. She's really starting to come together now, having constantly given the syndicate not bad news, but just, you know, she's just trotting or anything like that. Finally, I'm really starting to give positive reports. There are still shares available in the syndicate. I know that for certain. I can't tell you what George thinks of his because he's not here. So we'll have to wait for next episode to find out an update on his horse. But my filly is now starting to progress at the rate of knots and she's one that I loved at the sales. So hopefully she'll get her act together over the next month or two and we'll be on a race course September, October time. I loved having William here. I thought he was one of our very best ever guests. And I'm only sorry that G Scott wasn't in the building too, because while we have given him a bit of George stick, I do think we've missed him, haven't we, really? That little bit of cheekiness in the corner and that sort of butting in, interrupting and just generally 
taking control. Do you know what? It's a bit. It's, I'm slightly in two minds on this one because I've really loved not having him here and not having been able to chit back at me. However, there have been some very funny moments between uh, William Haggis and George Scott, mainly the two of them clashing on the heath. I remember William wrote George an email after his string had walked straight across the Berry Road and not allowed the traffic to go. And uh, William, William William sent him quite a rude email about how his string were, you know, letting the horse industry down and stuff like that. And, and rather than just say, I'm really sorry, Governor, you're absolutely right, uh, I'll talk to my string, George, being George, couldn't help himself and, and had a pop back, which um, I would love to have brought, brought up, but sadly I didn't get that opportunity. Perhaps there will be one day down the line. Yes, that was a really enjoyable chat with William Haggis, much as I've missed George. Thank you to our friends Fitzdares, our long-term supporters here of this podcast. And thank you to Charlie for holding the fort in George's absence. We'll be back for another episode in September. Thanks to Carl Homer of Cambridge TV for sound and production. We hope you've all enjoyed listening to George and Charlie off the bridle. Do follow us on Twitter at Bridal Podcast. And make sure you subscribe if you can so that you never miss an episode. Goodbye.